Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Our scripture this morning is 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Thank you. Be seated. God is good all the time. I want you to do me a favor if you have your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. And we'll go back to 1 Timothy 6 in a second. But I want you to see in Acts 4 the prayer that was prayed. Now, just to give you the background, uh, Peter and John had been up at the temple preaching Jesus. And it had drawn a lot of eyes and even those of Uh, I guess you could say the religious leaders. So they go and they get Peter and John and they take them aside and they give them a pretty good thrashing and they command them. They say, don't preach in his name anymore. And the reply that they had was, well, you decide whether or not it is right in the sight of God that we should obey him or men. And, and, And they go out and then going back to the temple, they continue to preach in Solomon's portico and they are arrested They address and are addressed by the Sanhedrin, that governing body, and then they are forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus once again. And again, in reply, Peter said, we shall obey God and not men. And then they go back to the church, and the passage I want you to look at is verse 29. They're back with the church after all this. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If there is one thing that the church could do better at, that Christians could do better at, it is speaking with boldness, not hatefulness, not vitriol, not dissensions and debates and, and, and all the ways that everyone wants to have conversations, boldness. That means saying what God says and not being afraid to say it no matter what the consequences are. Because we're told by so many in society, we we need to be tolerant. You've seen the bumper stickers that say coexist and it has all the different religious symbols to spell out coexist. And those who are the loudest preachers of tolerance are often themselves rather intolerant. Have you noticed? As long as you go along with them, that's fine. But if you have different views, like we as Christians should have, then they're not very tolerant towards our differing views. 
kind of find that a bit hypocritical myself. But neither here nor there. They prayed that God would look on the threats of those who were opposed to them, but that they would be given boldness. And why is that? There's always the temptation when the crowd is against you to want to be silent. There's always the temptation when you are a small group saying one thing and everybody else says, this is what you have to do. A lot of people cave. And so we as Christians, we, we, we don't say anything one way or the other. We just, we keep to ourselves. Why? Because they'll call us a name if we, if, if, if we do speak. Uh, and there are many things, I mean, I could go wild with this one little issue. Um, but I'll try not to. Hang on, I'm calculating my root in my head. Sometimes I wonder if that's God saying, hold, pull the reins, don't do it. Anyway, okay. I believe that you and I should be able to believe what we believe is God has given us His Word and His will. And you know what? There's some people not going to agree with it, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with it. But let me live my life. I don't thrust my Christianity on anybody. You can ask, I've got several friends that are not Christians that are not churchgoers. And uh, every one of them will say, you know, if you ever want to talk to Stephen about it, he'll be glad to talk to you about it, but he doesn't shove it down your throat. And the reason I don't shove my faith down anyone's throat is because I don't like it when others try to shove their beliefs down mine. I don't want to be the hypocrite in that case. But I always tell folks, you know, I'm a Christian, here's why, and you know, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, and usually there's always the question, what do you believe on and they, they, you know, they want to, this topic, that topic, why? Because, you know, if we can get his answer on that, we'll have him figured out. We'll even know what political party he's part of. So they think. There are times to be intolerant. Peter and John give us an example. One example is when someone tells you to quit doing the work of the Lord, you don't quit. And I love that they prayed for God to continue to give them boldness because they probably realized, you know, human nature is as human nature is, and maybe we'll be tempted to not preach or to speak in His name because of what we just had to go through. Just don't say anything. And this is where we come in. Our lack of boldness. Again, I'm, I'm not saying hatefulness. I'm not saying vitriol, you know. I, I, I'm saying the willingness to say Here's what I believe, and here's why I believe it. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that God created man and put him in the ideal place. And he was lonely, so God wanted to make for him a suitable helper. He didn't make him another man. He didn't make him a whole bunch of animals or a bunch of women. He made him one woman. And from that, we get the model of what marriage is. One man, one woman, till death do us part. That's what we say, isn't it? In the vows, to death do us part. And we also do you when promised da-da-da-da-da. We don't say, I'll try. We say, I do. I do. Every day, I do. I will. And this God that created the heavens and the earth and that created male and female, they knew what they were. He, like most males in a general sense, 
had uh, denser bones and greater muscle mass. She was able to bear and nurse children. They knew what they were. And there's nothing wrong with being what we are. No one is better at being a woman than a woman. No one is better at being a man than a man. And the lie that is taught is that, you know, women have to, you know, they got to rise the corporate ladder. They have to, they have to, you know, you got to dismantle the patriarchy and all that mess that people talk about. You know, hopefully, you know, I am not against uh, women in the workplace. Matter of fact, I'm trying to get Stephanie to out earn me so I can retire pretty quickly. So that's a work in progress. No shame whatsoever on my part. And I've told Bree, I said, honey, if you want to go and run the world, you go right ahead. I think you can do it. I said, but if you want to stay at home and raise a family, there is no shame in that. That is a very important job. And it is one that matters the most. In the face of everything that we are told, Paul tells us how to be intolerant. And I really want to point this out because it's important. He doesn't say to go and argue with, to yell at, to denigrate, to revile, to speak ugly of. He just says, from such withdraw yourselves. If you want to believe the sky is orange, I'm not going to debate you over it. If you want to believe that two plus two is five, fine, live that way. I have no problem with that whatsoever. If you don't believe in God or Jesus, that's on you. I hate it because if I had it my way, everybody would be Christians and not just in name, but in how we all lived. But I know I am not going to have it my way. This isn't Wendy's or McDonald's or whoever it is says, have it your way. But Paul says, those who don't teach these wholesome words, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine that accords to godliness, from such withdraw yourselves. Now, in the context that he's saying this, he's saying this with regard to false teachers among them. The job or or, or the charge and, and the hope of being a Christian should be to go and Encourage others to be a Christian as well. I I know not a lot of people like to do that. It can be uncomfortable. What if they say no, blah, 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 blah. I love how one preacher put evangelism. He described it this way. He said, evangelism is one starving man showing another starving man where the bread is. That's a pretty good way to look at it if you think about it. So, okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6 Leading up to what he says here, of course, he was pointing out the false teachers. But what he begins with, starting out, is he speaks about Christian equality, but also that we we sometimes occupy different roles. Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, uh, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. 
teach and exhort these things. And this is what he says right before he goes into the unwholesome words, contrary to the doctrine, to the, to the words of Christ and so forth. Now, a lot of people read this and they go, well, I just don't like it. It's slavery. And you would be right. Uh, and, and there's always the argument that people uh, lay on the scripture that they say that it supports slavery. I think that's an overly simplistic analysis of it. Um, if you read the book of uh, Philemon, uh, Onesimus was a slave who had escaped, and so Paul wrote him a letter. It is probably so that uh, Onesimus had wronged his master, but he found his way to Paul through a series of events, or we might say by the providence of God. And Onesimus became a Christian, and Paul says we have to make things right, so you have to go back to your master Philemon. And he sent that letter. And essentially what he said to Philemon was, you know, don't receive him back as a servant, but receive him back as a brother, a Christian brother. And, and this is the same here. In Christ, we have equality, but yet there may be roles here on earth that we each stand in that we need to be respectful of. He's not saying I want slavery to continue, but he is saying that if you find yourself in this estate as a Christian, here's how you're to regard your master, especially those that are Christians, because by your obedience, you're essentially giving glory to God and testifying to the truth that he is Lord of your life. I would also remind that it were, uh, excuse me, that it was a Christ-minded person, William Wilberforce in England, who begun the outlaw of slavery, and they did it over there without a war. So it can be done without a war. Sadly, our nation went through a war as a part of that strive and struggle. So in the next verses, verses 6 through 10, of course, he, he's spoken about those who don't teach otherwise and don't consent to wholesome words, the words of Jesus. The false teachers had one thing that really set them apart from others. Beginning verse 6, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." So there's one way that you're really going to be able to find these false teachers. You're going to notice them by this. They're in it for money. I saw, I saw this interview with one of these big televangelists, and the interviewer caught up to the, to the guy. I don't know where they were, but she said, is it really necessary that you had to have a second private jet? Just so y'all know, I'd be fine with a helicopter, okay? I don't have that far to go. But is it necessary that you have a second private jet? And it, I was like, is this really a conversation? And uh, the way he justified it, I was like, man, apostles went by feet and by boat, but this guy needs two jets, you know, in case the other one breaks down. They're in it for the money. And Paul saying, you know, Godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to think about that for a second. Are you content in life? Think about it. 
maybe we need to define contentment. How many of you, when you were growing up, or maybe even now, could make a meal out of white beans, cornbread, and onion? That sound familiar? Yeah. Stephanie made it a few weeks ago. Of course, you know, mom and dad didn't make a lot of money, and so we didn't have steak every night. It was nice when we even had a Coca-Cola. Um, white beans, cornbread, that was, that was a staple. And, you know, I swore when I grew up, I said, I'm never going to eat that meal again. And then Stephanie makes it, and I'm going, that's pretty good. I can't believe I've gone so long without it. I mean, when you can be satisfied with the small things, I think you're on your way to contentment. You know? Uh, all right, don't tell anybody I told you this. So I was talking to Bree, and, um, you know, being a father, I, I said, Bree, have you and that boy talked about getting married? I just had to ask, right? And so we had a good long conversation, and she said, much to her mother's dismay, you know, I don't think I want a big wedding. My pocket went, ah, you know. <laughs> her mother went, aw. She's like, no, I don't want a big thing, just maybe a small thing, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you know, there are people that spend thousands of dollars for like two hours, maybe, of a ceremony. And it's so sad when those marriages <laughs> crash and burn, too. Some people put more emphasis on the wedding than they do the marriage. But I thought, you know, I, I love that it doesn't take a whole lot to, to make her happy. You know, I never wanted to raise kids that were, you know, you just couldn't ever make happy. You know, um, it's like you got all these toys on the floor and, well, that's not the one that, that's not the 75 that they want. There's a new one that they want. You know, it, it's contentment is being satisfied with whatever you have. And, you know, not being bothered by what you don't have. So these preachers, these false teachers, they wanted, they were in it for gain. They were in it for the money. But Paul says, if you have food and clothing, we shall be content with these. It could be a whole lot worse. You ever say that to yourself in a situation? It could be a whole lot worse. And, you know, there are a lot of times that it is. I remember... Last year, as Ernie prayed for uh, those who were affected by the tornado, Stephanie and the kids were out of town, and I woke up. Of course, it was me and little Winston, my schnauzer, and there was no power. And my biggest concern was, I just need to get coffee, okay? So I drove all the way into Murray, not knowing everything that had happened, and I get in, and there, everything, nothing had power in the city. And so I was driving back home. I'm like, well, I didn't get my coffee, and I... I'd stopped in town and was looking on Facebook because out where I live, you have no signal unless it's a smoke signal that you send up. So I, I, I was looking through and I'm sitting here reading what had happened. And I'm going, I don't have power, but that's okay. I still got a home. I still have a family. That's okay. It was cold out, too. I built me a fire, kept on a couple layers, you know. Wouldn't I like to have power and heat? Yeah. It could always be worse. It could always be worse. 
So are you content in life? That's a good question to ask and to answer. Okay. After mentioning this, uh, he gives Timothy a snapshot of, of the good teachers. 11 through 16, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold to eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession and the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Jesus Christ who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate. I I was reading that and I'm going, there are probably 10 people that even know what a potentate is. If you've got an alternate translation, it may say sovereign. Okay, that's what potentate is. I kind of want to tell King James, get his act together. Nobody uses that word. Anyway, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? That's a question people are still asking today. What is truth? What's true? You know, is this true? Is that true? And, and, and there are some things that really are, you know, they're pretty true. Like, for example, if I were to call up the Social Security Administration and say, I'm now identifying as a 67-year-old man, I'd like my retirement. you know I wouldn't get it. Or go to the McDonald's or wherever go, I would like to identify as a senior citizen for the discount. It doesn't work, does it? Sad thing is, there are a lot of people who want to identify as one thing because they're looking for happiness. And they're not content with who they are, what they are. And so, well, I've got to change. And they go through changes and, and they, many of them never find that happiness. And it's very sad and very tragic because some of them, they're at the highest risk of suicide. And I hate that. But I promise you, not all your questions will be answered, but in Christ, you can find peace. You can find happiness. You can find contentment. the philosophers and the moralists often spoke about their teachings as fighting the good fight. So when Paul says fight the good fight of faith, uh, you know, he's using language that they would have been very familiar with. And yes, Christianity is a morality. Uh, There's morality within it. And it's not for me or for you to define that, but for God to define it. Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So any truth rooted in God and rooted in the Lord, you, you can't ever go wrong. And, and there are some things that we'll know and some things that we, that we simply won't know. But the things that are so basic, okay, let's, let's not muddy the waters. So he next gives instructions to the rich. Now, he, he had spoken about 
the false teachers who were seeking after wealth. Maybe Paul wants to clarify that he's not speaking ill of the rich as a whole. He says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Some people often misquote the passage and they say, love's the root of all evil. But that's not what Paul said. Look at it again. The love of money is the root of all evil. There's a difference. The love of money. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. For where your heart, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Or vice versa. I might have said that backwards. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so those are the things that Timothy is to guard. Earlier in the book, Paul said, This charge I commit to you, son, of Tim son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. If you stand for what Scripture teaches, according to the divine word and the tradition of the apostles and of Christ himself, not everybody's going to like it. So you got to make a choice. Where will I stand? Now, I think of it in these terms. I think of it in the terms because the church is the bride and because Christ is the bridegroom. Think of it as a marriage. Will we be unfaithful to our bridegroom in word and doctrine and all such matters? Or will we be faithful, steadfast? Sometimes those that are loudest aren't always right. Sometimes those that scream one thing, though they be great in numbers, that doesn't make them right. So Paul says in closing, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And here it is. As much as you can take that today, what he said, you can copy it and paste it in our own time. And he would say to us, guard what was committed to us. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Because by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. You can make a very well-reasoned argument or statement about what we believe. And all the other person has to do to win the argument these days, and you see this on shows a lot where people have differing views. All they have to do is claim the moral high ground. Well, we're compassionate. You're phobic, bigoted, blah, 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 whatever the case is. Once a person grabs that moral high ground, there's no amount of reasoning that's going to win them over or anybody else.
so be it. If you have to stand alone, stand alone. Jesus didn't have multitudes of disciples with him before the Sanhedrin. He did not have multitudes of disciples with him while he was being scourged. He had a few standing at the foot of the cross. Many who were his closest circle had fled. Sometimes it gets tough. And if you got to stand alone, stand alone. But you don't have to be a jerk about it. And some Christians don't get that. They think you got to be hateful and ugly. You know, when I was a kid, I learned this when I was a kid. Um, I thought when you didn't like somebody, you could be mean to them. And mama pulled me aside because I'd done that. I'd been mean to a kid that I didn't like. And she said, don't let me ever see you do that again. And I said, well, but I don't like him and he don't like me. She said, I don't care. She said, you will be nice to everybody. Even if you don't like them and they don't like you. And for some reason that still lives with me and I don't like it a bit. But my mama told me to do it and I guess I'm going to do it. Be nice to everybody. Even if you don't agree with them, be kind. Because you never know, you may have the opportunity to plant a seed, to water something that's always planted. But if we come off gruff and hateful, as sometimes we tend to, we're not doing any good. I have never argued anyone or debated anyone to make that great confession and to be baptized. It's never happened. And now I've had my share of the debates and the arguments. And I think I'm a pretty good debater. I I think I won them all, but I I didn't win a person to the Lord. So what was the point? That's not how disciples are made. They're made because someone who loves the Lord cares about someone who doesn't know him well enough to ask them, have you ever considered becoming a Christian? Tom Holland, who was a teacher of mine, he uh, was ministering at a congregation in Texas. And he told this story and I was really shocked by it. He said, I went out to this man who was a big cattle farmer in the area and I went to his farm. He would come to church occasionally with his wife. So I go out there and he's tending his cattle and, and he sees me. He says, hey, brother, come on out. And uh, so Tom goes out and he said, I got to keep working, but you come right along. And he did. And so Tom said to him right off the bat, he said, has anybody ever talked to you about your eternal soul? And he said that rancher just stopped and he turned and he looked at him. He said, well, say your piece. So Tom went on talking to him about the Lord, about forgiveness and grace, what we can all receive through Christ. And it wasn't long after, maybe a few days or a few weeks, that, uh, you know, this, this rancher decided, you know, I want to be forgiven. I want to become a Christian. And so he met with Tom at the building and Tom immersed him into Christ. And afterwards, he was curious. Tom said, He said, what made you change your mind? He said, in all the time I've lived here, all the preachers that have preached here, you're the only one that point blank asked me if I've ever thought about my eternal soul. All it took was one person caring enough to ask. And I've noticed that. I've had some of those experiences as well. Some of our dear friends back in uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, You know, the daughter was a Christian. Her father used to be an elder. 
and uh, she was getting married to this great guy, but he wasn't a Christian. And we did the wedding, got to know them. They would come over often, and we'd entertain them. And we were sitting in the living room, he and I were one evening, and Stephanie and Hannah were in the kitchen doing stuff. And I just, I just said, hey, I said, Jesse, have you thought any more about becoming a Christian? He's country as cornbread. He said, yeah, I have. And I just, I pointed over towards the church. I said, you want to go right now? He said, yeah. I was shocked. Right? More often than not, when you ask people like, well, no, you know, I'll get back to you, all that stuff. There it is. There it is. Now's a good time. Now's a good opportunity to make that confession of faith, to be buried with Christ in baptism, have your sins washed away. Here's the good thing about a gift, because we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, well, we ain't got past Halloween. Walk in Walmart, they got Christmas stuff out already, okay? We will all give and probably receive gifts. What have you done to earn it? Not a thing. That's why it's called a gift, the grace of God is a gift, but there is a part where you play. You have to receive the gift. You have to accept it. God's grace stands. He wants to forgive. He wants to wash away our sins. Accept His gift. Would you? Come forward as we stand and sing. <laughs>